The title, Is There a Place for Me at the Manger? When you think about Christmas and what we sing and we take for granted, uh, there's a lot of people who really have no idea what we're talking about. I was in prison. That didn't sound good. Uh, I was in prison and talking with uh, one of the prisoners, and I asked him if he was, um, we had worked through the doubts and the questions that he had, and finally came to the time when when he knew um, the, the greatest question he faced was not whether he would accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. The real question was, would Jesus accept him? When you get into the story about the manger, um, when we, when Christians, when we talk about Jesus and and the, and the birth of Christ, <clears throat> Christians do so with a th- with a thinking about the theology of who God is and what God has done. Christians think theology. Jewish people don't think theology. They think history. And the historical study of what take what has taken place in the scriptures for the for the mindset of the Jew is about this is a, a fullness of time, a revelation of the unfulfilling in history what God is doing to call a people to himself, to call those people his own. And yet <clears throat> so many nations would not identify with this because there's so much about the story that's really rooted in Judaism, rooted in the Hebrew mindset, because the Hebrew mindset is not so much a, an analytical, cognitive, representational, propositional, intellectual understanding. It's not a um, system of thought, but it is an experience with a personal God. And the personal God would speak. He's not silent. And so for the Jews, they would understand, and they would have to see. It's seeing for the Jewish person. It's seeing the miracles, asking Jesus for signs, wanting to know that that which is being presented to them in history fit the record of of the Scriptures. And so as we come to the story that Luke brings to us, it's a particular story that's anchored in Jewish belief, in Jewish expectation about the plan of salvation, plan of salvation being fulfilled in this one called the Messiah. This praise and this worship and this gladness that, the, that, that Luke writes about is something foreign for a whole lot of religions because they can't conceive of God becoming a man. And yet this is a great mystery. It's a mystery that's built on historical prophecies and visions and experience, guiding stars and foreigners. The whole cosmos is changing. And yet all of this is put down in the story of Luke, who interestingly has an audience. Who is that audience? Gentiles, non-Jews. He says, I write these things to you, uh, Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus isn't a Jewish man. He's a non-Jew. He's a high official, but he's 
not one that understands, but he wants to get the right order and understand the story. And so you know the story, beginning with this miracle of the angels coming, Gabriel speaking, and uh, the prophecies being laid out before all those involved. But those angels, those angels sang. Did you know angels could sing? Would you like to know what the angels sang? Can you imagine listening to the song of the angels? It's a three-part song. The three-part songs you know. One, he says, first of all, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory. And then he said, peace. Peace on earth. Angels singing about peace. And then the third stanza was about this. As they would look at this earth and what God was doing, it would be men of goodwill. These three themes is what's going to take place in history, in relationship. This is what the angels were anticipating and singing and celebrating, and it came to our experience, and we saw it and beheld it with our own eyes, said the disciples. But this is the messianic task, three things that the angels talked about. Three three things that the Messiah is to do. And the first is about this thing of glory. We don't think about glory very much. It's a religious word. We never use it except maybe in the, ath- in the Olympics we say about the glory of the athlete in his perfect uh, performance. But, but the idea of having glory was, was the root of this Reformation where they had these five uh, sol- soli deo gloria. And we sing it in Christmas. Gloria. Gloria. Glory. The idea that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, and to God alone be the glory. Solo gratia, saved by grace. Solo fide, solo Christus, solo scriptura, solo Deo gloria. Glory. We don't think that that really... It's a divine thing, but I want you to understand that this glory is also a human thing that we'll look at. It's calculated to appeal to our natural desire to be honored, respected, treated with dignity on a human level. But for for God, it's an amazing thing that God would make himself into a baby. And this glory becomes a mystery Because the way God thinks about glory and the way we think about glory are just total opposites. You know the passage, and the problem is we don't understand glory. And the reason why we don't understand glory is because, as Paul said, we have fallen short. All have sinned and fall short of glory. We don't know what that is. And our tendency is, well, like for Bob at the funeral, it was so easy to talk about Bob. He was kind, he was gentle, he was good, he was faithful, righteous, giving, fun. But it's so easy to think that he would get into heaven because of his goodness, because of his righteousness, because of his commitment, devotion. Not so. 
Even Bob would say to me, Jerry, I don't think I've done enough. I haven't done, I haven't, I've just, I fall short. And that's true, for Bob was a sinful man. And as I said to the, 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 the group on Friday, we don't understand that our, our falling short, we think we're right at that finish line, we're, we're good, but we don't understand how far we have fallen. And therefore, our understanding that we're, we're bad or we're, we're sinful, is, we're maybe a little bit sinful. We've got our lives pretty well together, but we don't understand how God sees things. It's total opposite. For ask one question, and you'll find where you fall short. Do you love like Jesus? Then you bow your head because you fall short. Because that is the standard of glory. The grace, instead of getting irritated and judgmental and angry and casting people aside and judging them for just a little thing or for big things, can you forgive? We fall short. And all, as Paul would say in Romans, for all they, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But in their thinking, they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, there's something inside of us. I don't know if you get this. You understand, we know what's right to do and we don't do it. We know what's wrong and we do it. There's some conflict going on. There's a war inside that we want we know we were built to honor, but we don't do it. There is inside of you and me, because of the fall, let me say it this way, there is a fist. And this fist says to God, I'm going to do it my way. There's a resistance. There's going to be a fight. There's a conflict. And nobody sees it except the Lord. And so your walk with Christ is going to be compounded and conflictual because there's something inside of you. You can't explain it except it comes from the dark part where you don't have your heart restored fully. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Do you? And the answer is no. And therefore, you will disappoint somebody. Your relationships at some point in time are going to come into conflict because you don't have a complete, glorious love. And therefore, your love is insufficient. Your love, your faith, your hope aren't that perfect yet. At least mine aren't. If, you, if you're here, you can come up. But if you're messed up like I am, I'm only talking because I know me and I know you because you're like me and because that's what this says. And therefore, we miss the glory and what we do, we turn to the world instead of turning to God. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only Father? Understand what that's saying. Jesus says God wants to honor you. God wants you to be the best woman. God wants you to be the best man. Because in your humanity, if you are fully human, the man fully satisfied in God, the woman fully fulfilled in God, is the beautiful, glorious creature that reflects the glory of God. But we don't know God that well. 
And therefore, we turn away from God and we turn to our families, we turn to our spouse, and we look to them to get feedback, our security, our love, and sometimes they mess up and they don't give it. And therefore, we would turn to the world, we turn to work, and they don't give it. We turn to our, our kids, and they disappoint. And then finally come to the point where I turn to myself and I can't bring it all together. And therefore, there's an anger and tension inside because we're not going to God. And like I've said before, if God isn't meeting your deepest needs, your deepest needs becomes your God. And you'll serve to praise men and be a people pleaser versus being a God pleaser. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. You see, if we only understood that hearing God say to Bob, well done, Bob, faithful servant, that would set your heart free. Set your heart free from having to please people, compete with people, compare yourself with people. It's not about what others think of you. It's what Christ thinks of you. But our problem is, all the way through Scripture, we've got the same problem. Has the nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. So be appalled and shudder, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 2, 11 to 13. So we end up substituting at Christmas time some very meaningful, rich, hopeful gifts. And we have a transactional, mechanical, negotiated relationship. We have a commercialized Christmas instead of understanding that caring, that genuine connection. Beautiful. Awesome. But then Jeremiah goes on, My people have committed two sins. <clears throat> they have forsaken me, the fountain, the spring of living water, and they've dung, dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now imagine this picture. You take the clear water on the right and you, uh, you substitute it for the one on the, on the right. Would you drink out of that water? No, you wouldn't do that. But we would do that. Substituting God for something else. George MacDonald the man who led C.S. Lewis, influenced C.S. Lewis to Christ. He said, a beast does not know that he is a beast. And the nearer a man gets to being a beast, the, le the, the less he knows it. It's an interesting thing that the more human you become, the more glorious and reflective of Christ. And therefore, understand, as James would say, that if you look at Christ, you look in the scriptures, and you look, you look to what, this meaningful redemption is all about. You listen to the word, and then you find yourself. You leave the word, you lose yourself. But anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and then after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You walk away from Christ, and you forget the glory. You walk away from Christ, you forget the grace. You walk away from Christ, you forget the love. You walk away from Christ, you walk away from life. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom 
and continues to look into that law, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they are blessed in what they do. This glory is a gift for you. The glory is for you to be personally touched by the Holy Spirit at the time of Christmas and every day. Listen to what Paul says. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And the Spirit, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Now, follow this theme of glory, freedom and glory. And we all, with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. And then we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, the Spirit. And there you find these five themes, things that you can do practically in your relationship with Christ. It says the Spirit of the Lord brings freedom. That means you have to be in relationship to be connected with Christ. If you don't know Christ, you won't know that freedom. And we all with unveiled faces. That takes a lot of grace, a lot of courage, because if you're with Christ, you can't pretend to be somebody, and you can't be hiding. But with an unveiled face, you come as you are, warts and all. But he knows. He knows. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our doubts. He understands our fears. He knows us and loves us. And therefore, that glory to give you grace in weakness contemplate that. Let that settle in your heart. That there's nothing you can do that will reduce the love that God has for you. There's nothing you can do that will increase the love that God has for you. God just loves you constantly, steadily, omnipotently for eternity. And yet you contemplate that and something happens inside. You become transformed. Transformed because your focus is on a loving God, a gracious, glorious God who looks at you and says, I'm here to redeem you. I am for you. That's why I've sent my son. And being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, the Spirit. You see, leaving God, you become less human. Growing closer to Christ, you become more human. And living for that glory of Christ uh, is for all men, not just a certain group. And therefore, Matthew would talk about the Jewish people. He says, these people outside of relationship, everything they do is done for people to see. And they make their phylacteries wide and tassels and their garments long. They want to be honored by men, but they don't. They don't think about what God thinks about the externals. God's looking at the internals. That's why Paul says, we're not worried about the externals. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Paul was free from what people thought, but he was really focused on what God thought. And therefore, Paul would say to the Corinthians and to the Galatians and the Ephesians and to you and to me, whatever you do, don't do it for yourself. Don't do it because of selfish ambition. Do it for other centeredness, but do it for the glory of God, whether it's work or eating or having time, relaxing. Whatever you do, whatever you do, human, whatever you do, Christian, you are free to do it. And you can do it 
in your relationships, whether it's your marriage, how you relate to your spouse, how you relate to your kids, how you relate to your neighbors, how you relate to your coworkers, but you do it to that king who's eternal, invisible, immortal, the only God, and to him, the source of glory, he gives it to you as a gift so that you would be honored forever and ever. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise men boast of the wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of the riches. But the one who boasts, boasts in this, that they have the understanding to know me. And in that, there's rest. That's enough to be in the presence of God, secure, settled, wanted, free. That's what Christmas and glory means. I delight in these things, declare the Lord, kindness, justice, righteousness. Well, is there room for, I, that's not me. I'm not that righteous. I'm not that spiritual. I'm not that interested. I don't care about that stuff. Can I still go to that manger? Because it just seems like th- those people over there are different than I am. Well, the truth is, no, you can't go to the manger. <laughs> the manger is no longer available. The manger never was the place to go. There was a time, there was a time when there was, a, uh, you don't go to the temple. There was a time when the, the Qumran community, a couple hundred years before Christ came, they said, those people over there, they, they are not committed. They're too liberal. They're too loose. They're, uh, and so the group of Jewish people separated from Jerusalem, went out to the desert and they formed a Qumran community. And they wrote those, uh, they had the Dead Sea Scrolls that they have found referring back to that community. But they, were, they thought that the humanity was divided into two groups. That there were the sons of righteousness, and that was predestined, and you could not get out of it. You were called in one of the two groups, or you were the sons of evil. But the Qumran community was that dogmatic, narrow-minded thinking that God's only interested in us. Well, that thinking had to be exploded when Christ came on the scene because his shepherd, the idea of a shepherd moving towards the nations for all sheep to come, uh, Christ would bring in that glory for everyone, not just those who are selected, those who are elected, those who are predestined, but that's why we come to a different place. We come to the cross. And in the cross, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all men, to the Jew and to the Greek. So these angels were announcing this Jewish Messiah who's going to redeem the whole world. And what he would say If this glory is going to be real for you, how is it going to be seen, understood? And it's going to be seen in two ways. It'll be seen on peace and goodwill. If you have this meaningful spirit of Christ in your life, then you understand it doesn't come from a gift under a tree. It comes from a gift from another tree. And that goodwill means that there's peace, that there's nothing between you and God that would take away uh, that peace. That security of of faith is yours because he is uh, here 
for you. But the second thing that the angel said is, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Not just to those who are Christians or spiritual or committed, but to those who aren't spiritual, to those who aren't committed, to those who don't know yet. But that peace and goodwill would reach out, would take the initiative and move out. And that's why, that's why when we come to the celebrate Christmas, you hear that passage in a different way. For God so loved a few people. No. For God so loved just the Jews. No. The angel said to all men, John said, the whole world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, this glory, this peace, this reconciliation of goodwill, you don't have it when people go to schools and say there's going to be a bombing, there's going to be an explosion, there's going to be conflict. But when Jesus comes, this baby was born for war. And the war would be conquered and it would be replaced with peace. And therefore, he would say, comfort ye, my people. Your warfare is ended. And therefore, there's good news. There's glory, there's grace, there's peace, and there's goodwill. That's what, that's what Christmas is all about. And therefore, is there a room for you at the cross? Yes, yes, yes. Now, how do people get to know that? Is when people who are glorified and gracious move out in peace in their relationships. And when relationships are healed, I say, that, I say it this way. Hurt people hurt people. Healed people heal people. And you bring peace on earth through you, through me. Isn't that good news? It's good news. Therefore, the angels began to sing, and we sing, and, but other people don't sing. But we can get them to sing this season. I hope, you, I hope this time you have a chance to share with other people about this peace that God gives to them, the love that he's poured out for them, not at the manger only, but at the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this little tiny child brought about so much and there's no one else that has done for us what he has done for us. But the fact that you want to honor us, us, that's really turned away from you. Thank you that you pursue us and that you delight in us and that you want to transform us and make us men and women of peace, peacemakers, peacemakers men and women of goodwill. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>